dogs are really a central part of human society. I mean, throughout the world, we, even if you don't have a dog, you meet dogs on the street, you know people with dogs. And the way in which people interact with dogs and other animals often is reflected by the way they interact with human animals, if you will. My guest today is Dr. Mark Beckhoff. Mark is Professor Emeritus of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at the University of Colorado Boulder. He has published 31 books, won many awards for his research on animal behavior, animal emotions, and animal protection. He's also worked closely with famed primatologist Jane Goodall and is a former Guggenheim Fellow. Mark's latest book, which he co-authored with Jessica Pierce, is A Dog's World, Imagining the Lives of Dogs in a World Without Humans. I recently sat down with Mark and talked about how to understand these independent and remarkably intelligent animals on their own terms. And also, we talked about the joy they bring to humanity. Mark, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. I greatly appreciate it. My pleasure, indeed. Thank you. So the name of your latest book uh, that you wrote with Jessica Pierce is A Dog's World, Imagining the Lives of Dogs in a World Without Humans. So before we even start, uh, <laughs> I saw this book uh, a couple of weeks ago in the journal, uh, written up as in the book review, and I thought it was fascinating. And then I saw that you wrote a heck of a lot of books on dogs, the emotional lives of animals. You wrote a book with Jane Goodall. What was it, 30-something books? I think 31. Somebody said 36 this morning, but 31. A couple of them were multi-volume encyclopedias, so I think they were adding each volume, which I don't do because I'm not an academic, so I don't have to inflate anything. <laughs> wow, amazing. 31 books all dealing with animals and the world of animals and how, how amazing these creatures are. So before we begin... I was looking. I, I read. I read this book, and I also read your other book, uh, "The um, Unleashing Your Dog," because I do have a dog, and there is so okay. much I want to talk to you about. But here is okay. my question to everyone listening now who doesn't have a dog: Why should they continue listening to this podcast? It's a great question, and I think it's because dogs are really a central part of human society. I mean, throughout the world, we, even if you don't have a dog, you meet dogs on the street, you know, people with dogs and the way in which people interact with dogs and other animals often is reflected by the way they interact with human animals, if you will, um, as well. So dogs are really steeped in human culture globally. Yeah, so what are there? I think you you wrote there's a billion dogs in the world or so. Yep, it's estimated there's around a billion. You know, people can't really count them in certain places. I mean, we don't even have great counts in America, uh, United States. Um, but yeah, it's estimated to be about 900 million to a billion dogs, of which, you know, or of whom 75% or so are free ranging. So one of the important messages in the book really is that we shouldn't be using homed dogs as a template for how dogs will do without us. And that's an important undercurrent because most people are most familiar with what we call homed 
dogs who have a bed, you know, square meals and get vet care. Right, right, right. Okay, so I have a dog, my first dog. We got it nine and a half years ago. And um, I always wanted to get a dog, but situations never, never let me. Until finally, one day, my sons were pressing my wife for the 85th time, and she <laughs> says, well, if you get a dog, it can't be bigger than X. And that's all they needed to hear. So we had certain <laughs> criteria to get the dog, so I got a dog, and I want to tell you, the life of my family and my life has been so impacted. We've had this dog. We have had, uh, it's a Brittany, uh, mm-hmm. gorgeous dog. is a show dog where I showed him in nine and a half years, and we can't imagine life without him at this point. Yes. So what is the evolutionary magic that we take this animal that was out in the wild, was a teenage wolf or and, and bred and, and, and continually bred by humans to be what they are, right? There weren't no pugs walking in the wild 20,000 right. years ago, right? So most of the animals, uh, most of the dogs we have today, except for a handful, uh, are man are really you know what, what what's the term what's the biological term were uh, bred by man Des- domest- they're domesticated domesticated right so they couldn't live in the wild regardless because they never were there so what what is this evolutionary connection that there are over 65 million or so dogs in america we spend mm-hmm. billions of dollars on pet care my dog's going into the hospital for a cracked tooth which uh, I'm, I'm, I just feel anxiety for him, and I'm paying $1,000, which I never thought I'd pay. For it. I don't pay that much for my, my own teeth. I never have to do any dental care. What is it that makes me, my family, feel such a way towards this animal? Well, it's a great question. I'm not sure there are any great um, straightforward answers, but a lot of people say it's the long history of the relationship between the wolves who became dogs, because that's really what happened, and our association with them. And that, you know, when you pet a dog, um, your heart rate and your your heart rate can go down and your oxytocin, the love hormone levels can go up in both you and the dog. So there is this tight connection, um, but not with everybody. You know, that's one of the other messages that people go, oh, you know, dogs are man's best friend, human's best friend, and their unconditional lovers, which which is both are myths. I mean, dog abuse is really high. It's it's rampant in some places. And they're not unconditional lovers. You know, if anybody's ever rescued a dog who's been abused early in life, like I have, um, you have to earn their love, you have to earn their trust. But I think it's just that close association. And I think also, it's an expectation we have that's almost culturally bound. You know, dogs and humans evolve together. Dogs do things for us. We do things for them. And we have that natural bond. And I think the close attachment is the shared emotions. I call them the social glue. Um, you know, pet rocks and robotic dogs didn't really make it. And I think they read us really well and we read them very well. And I think that it's those shared emotions that really bond us. There, you know, you, you, you hit on a really, uh, a really sensitive topic because um, when, which is just amazing, unless you own a dog, you just don't get it. 
you actually know what they're thinking at what mm -hmm. time of day, and they look at you, and you, you, a friend of mine was over, and they said, how do you know he wants to eat now? I go, it's obvious. It's like, there's no question. Now <laughs> is the eating time. And the daylight savings time screwed him up totally. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, 1 mm -hmm. o'clock, it's just amazing. But the cues that they send off and the cues they pick up from you, where I'm coming home from a bad day at work or something, he'll, he'll mm -hmm. see me, he'll know, lay off. Don't do the Snoopy dance in front of this guy, in front of the alpha too long because I'm not in the mood. And they know when to back off. They know when to come on. They know it. It's just, to me, it's like there's, the, you know, you talk about this, uh, we, we've grown together with them. It seems to be more some sort of evolutionary process that uh, they've been able to read our minds and we've been able to read theirs. We, we share our beds with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, dogs read us, well, <clears throat> read us very well. There's some studies that show that they can tell us we're angry before we know they're angry, for example. And last week I met a woman who has an emotional support dog and she said something that was just profoundly interesting. We, I didn't know her, I didn't know her dog and we were talking and she said, you know, our nervous systems are tuned. It's like her dog and her, she needs a support dog and then she said something that I had heard before, but not so directly. She said, if I'm in a room, meaning her, if I'm in a room with, you know, 25 or 30 people, my dog will sometimes just walk around the room and he'll go up to a person and sit. And it could be a person who has the same emotional need mm. as she does. And, wow. and so she, you know, immediately say, why is this happening? And, you know, I could BS her, but I said, well, one thing for sure is that dogs are really sensitive to visual cues, facial expressions, and our body movements. They're also really sensitive to odors, which is, you know, they use odor cues to detect disease, for example. So I just thought that was, I, I really like stuff like that because it really tells us that they are spending a lot of time looking at us. You know, I mean, in many ways, and I don't mean, mean it in a pejorative way, you know, they're captive animals. They watch us, they listen to us, they smell us, they hear us. And they're better at, my, I mean, my dogs were better at predicting what I would do than I was sometimes. Just maybe changes in light, it might be my movements. Um, it might be something I say. Um, so that, is that's what I mean by shared emotions. It can be shared, you know, intentions as well. And I realized with some of my dogs, because I work, at, I even when I taught at university, I was working at home, that sometimes I would move in a certain way. And I'll be darned if that wasn't a cue that I was getting up from my desk to go outside. I had an external office, lived in the mountains, and the dogs could run free all day. But if they were, you know, sleeping at my feet, and I'm sure what I was doing was doing something just really subtle. Maybe I rotated my body or I just shut the computer down and they'd be going, do we get to go out now or do we get our treats? Yeah, 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 um, yeah. You know, I work downstairs. Yeah. I work in my uh, basement office and, huh. and he knows when I'm getting up to stretch my legs. He knows mm -hmm. when I'm going to go upstairs because he beats me up there. He knows, <laughs> he just watches, you know, I was trying to be cognizant of it the other day and, and I notice when I walk up the when I'm going downstairs, I usually close the light or do something to my desk to say, you know, straighten up the desk or something. And they pick up all these subtle cues, and they're a step ahead of us. Yep, they they are a step ahead of us. And I remember on some occasions they would almost be reminding me that you know 
you know, in the back of my mind, I know that I have to talk with you at three o'clock mountain time. And so I start getting papers out or I turn my computer on and they're sitting right next to me going like, what's going what, on? What are you doing? Right. <laughs> or, right. or you need to do this now. And right. it's like, right. all right. But I never question that. I mean, I, I don't, you know, there's a lot of people who believe that we telepathically communicate with dogs and vice versa. Maybe we do. Um, I'm not disparaging them. It's just, once again, they watch us, smell us, and hear us very carefully. And the other thing they do is, um, I'm an ethologist. So I study animal behavior, mostly in the wild or free-ranging dogs. They put together information from what we call composite signals. So they're signals that have cues from odor, sound, and sight. And you know, we might not even know that we're so, doing so, so, it. So give me an example. Give me an example of something like that. Oh, I might be stressed or happy and move in a certain way. So I give off a certain odor. I move in a certain way. Or maybe the tone of my voice. They do. Re I mean, they respond to tones of voice. You know that. You know, I mean, did, you know, my dogs, you know, we, we name our dogs. But with some of them, like my last dog, Jethro, I could go, hey, Jethro, you want to walk? Or I could have said, hey, Bobby, you want to walk? And he's going... I don't really care what you call right, me. Right, you know? right. I'm ready. To, I'm ready to walk. So that's what I mean. And once again, the messages vary, just like if you're communicating with another human being, where just a subtle movement can change the meaning of what you're, what you're, what you're, the message you're sending, whether you intend to send that message or right, not. Right. So you know this non nonverbal body language. You know, right. people call it. And once again, like I said, you know, especially with home dogs, I mean, they're spending a heck of, you know, depending where they are, but, you know, I had dogs in my office. They were watching me and smelling me and hearing me. And I remember, I mean, a very sad situation that I was, I, I used, when I taught at the university, I had like an eight o'clock, an eight or a nine o'clock class down at university. And I was out in my office getting stuff ready to ride my bike down to school when 9-11 happened, and I don't know what I did or what I said, I probably didn't say something that was repeatable, and my dog, Jethro, jumped up and he leaned into me knowing I needed support. Mm. Just, I mean, you know, and and had he ever done it before? No, and he, had he ever done it again? No, you know, so once again, he was just reading something, and it was probably in, it was probably what I said, which I can't repeat on the radio, but really, he knew that I was really, really alarmed and upset. But your hormone so, levels, you're, you're probably giving off odor. You're probably a whole bunch uh, of, you yeah. know, your, your, your chin, your, you know, your, your jaw was tight, your eyes, you know. It's these things you can't program into a computer, you know. You just have to, it's what makes us able to pick up the cues that you like what I just said because I saw you smile or your eyes or what have you. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely fascinating yeah. to me. Now I want to flip to the other end. When, okay. I, when I walk my dog uh, in Brooklyn, there are certain people that see me half a block away, and <laughs> I can't say scared because it doesn't do them service. Petrified. I mean, it's, it's regardless of the size of any dog, some people, as you know, are just absolutely petrified. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What is it in these people that it's, it's not rational because you have a little tiny little dog, and even if this mm -hmm. dog was going to bite you, it, what was it going to do? Nip you? It's not, you know, it's not a pit bull that's going to rip your leg off. 
what is this uh, fear that certain people seem to be programmed with? And I see it a lot with certain children. Uh, they mm -hmm. never saw it. Certain kids run up to the dog. Mm -hmm. to, to, and I always pull back because, I, does he bite? I said, well, he has teeth. He could. So <laughs> I always tell the mothers, be careful. I, he's a dog. But certain kids just hysterically cry and others don't. And they might not have ever had another experience. What is it in yeah. their biology that's setting off these alarm bells? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm not sure it's in the biology. My mother had a, I think she was bitten when she was young or chased. I'm not quite sure what it was, but she was afraid of dogs, even when I studied dogs. And when she would visit me and, you know, all my dogs were, were you know, low key, tame, she could not be near them. And, um, and, and I've been around, you know, people enough to know that sometimes a parent or an adult might send out once again, an involuntary cue. Oh, oh, there's a dog or the kid sees a dog. They see a dog and she pulls the kid away. And it doesn't, I mean, it's, you know, it's not Einsteinian psychology to think you do that a couple of times. And the kid makes the association that, oh, there's something wrong here. Um, so I don't know. I mean, nobody's ever really, I mean, the only innate fear that people seem to have is of snakes. There's been yeah. some work done on young kids to show that they, you know, they say it's an inborn fear. So I don't know. But I'll tell you what's really interesting with my mom, and I've only, I mean, I've written about it sometime, was um late in life, she really suffered from some severe psychological um, and physical uh, degradation, dementia. And we were down there and one of her neighbors had a little dog, I mean, like a teacup poodle. And she brought her into the house where my mom was sitting in her wheelchair, really pretty non-interactive. And my, we all said, no, don't, you know, don't show her the dog. You know, we didn't know how, how she would respond. And I'll be darned if the woman just held the dog out and my mother smiled. She put the dog in her lap and my mother actually, the little, she could move. She hugged the dog. I mean, we all just broke up crying because like <laughs> it, it clearly had a positive effect on my mom. But I guarantee you, if we had done that 10 years before, even with a teacup poodle, she, my mother would have, she would have been afraid. Yeah. So I think a lot of, a lot of the fear of dogs is learned or culturally, you know, in certain places, I mean, I've been all over the world studying free and watching free ranging dogs and they give off some vibes, if you will, that can be pretty frightening. So if you don't know how to read the whole dog, then you might develop the fear, you know, that a, a playful move could be interpreted as an aggressive move. So, yeah. Yeah, no, it, 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 I, I watch how um, people who are petrified of dogs they the dog picks up on that and says well if this person's freaking out i gotta freak out right tensions are high and i'm not going to be the last guy here to react and it's kind of an it's kind of a feedback loop that that develops yeah they sort of you know you always ha hear this old adage you know they seem to go to the people who show fear of them you know, who knows why? And, you know, people have asked me that. And I said, I don't really know why, other than maybe they're trying to say, look, you have nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, when I lived in St. Louis, I went to Washington University and we had a big husky 
And it was kind of a mixed community. It was a lovely place. And we would walk the dog on a leash. And every now and again, somebody would be coming down the street, would see us with this big husky and cross the street. And I remember saying to this guy once, oh, don't worry, he doesn't bite. And the guy said, oh, yeah, how does he eat? And I went, all right. <laughs> but, but, but then over time, this guy came to like the dog, you know? I mean, he, he was genuinely afraid of big dogs. You know, it wasn't a German shepherd. Like, you know, people think that some people have this, you know, innate fear or, of dogs that look like German shepherds, for example, or Dobermans. No, it's just a big sort of off-white Malamute who was wagging his tail. Um, but it was really lovely for us because I kept saying to the guy, he's okay. And he said, will you hold him? You know, I mean, we see we saw him almost every day and over time he finally he finally would just come over and say hi moses that was the dog's mm -hmm. name maybe that's why he liked him mm -hmm. <laughs> he'd say hi moses and and moses loved him and we gave him some treats and you know i kept saying look you know dogs are eating machines pretty much and and over time i think it was a combination that the guy wasn't giving off these bad vibes or the bad odors or the, you know just the bad visual signals and was feeding him. I mean, that's a, sorry, that's, that's a win-win. It's a win-win. That's it. You know, I, I, I pick up on those cues when I, and I love dogs, and um, when I see someone walking with a dog that those prong type of collars, mm -hmm. uh, and they weigh 94 pounds, and they're trying to hold mm -hmm. a dog, which is 80 pounds and pulling them, I cross the street. I say, first of all, if this dog ever, for whatever reason, doesn't like me, that owner can't, can't control the dog. And mm -hmm. secondly, the prong is basically telling me they can't control the dog. They're using a mm -hmm. pain method. So uh, when I see some certain dogs and I see their, it's really more or less their owners, how their owners mm -hmm. are interacting with them. I, I, and I'm a big guy and I'm not real, I'm not scared of dogs. I just, I really, my guard is up and I say, you know what, I'm just going to avoid that. I, I guess these are mm -hmm. the cues that other people pick up and I'm a much more basic level of having a fear of, and I was never bit, so I, I don't have that issue. I was never chased, so. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I could see that, you know, it's, it's scary. It's, it's if you, you know, you, you, you see these, they're animals and they, and I always run, run to a situation where people keep their dogs off leash. They go, no, he's trained. They go, he's a dog. <laughs> he will react if there's enough stimuli, he will react as a dog does. Mm. And they said, no, mm -hmm. he won't. And they end up usually doing it. So I, I guess we all put up some, uh, some type of fence or, or guard. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the type of paraphernalia that, you know, people, well, they don't ask their dog, they just put it on their dog, can tell you a lot about why they have the dog, their relationship with the dog, you know, is it, you know, just pure, purely utilitarian, if you will, it's what the dog can, and it's a one-sided relationship of what the dog can do for me, you know, what kind of image does this dog project about who I am as a human being, or why, you know, getting back to the basics of why do I have this dog? So I'm, I'm like you too. I, I've learned over the years, because I'm a really nice guy and I don't really like to confront people. I'm probably not as big as you are, but um, I kind of just don't say anything because those could be the very people, you know, the very people who could unleash their dog on you or unleash themselves on you. But, but I, I, I know that, you know, um, I do, 
I do make assessments as I'm walking towards a person and their dog about the nature of their relationship. And I, I can't say I'm right or wrong, but, you know, most of the time things are fine. But yeah. every now and again, you know, I'll get growled at and or, or the, the dog will growl and maybe lunge, but not necessarily in an aggressive way. And what I what I really love but I don't is when they go, Oh, he's never done that before. Yeah, I'm yeah. going, yeah, yeah. He, I guarantee you. He has. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> um, so when, when people tell you they want to get a dog, why would you dissuade them? What would they say that you would say, you know, you don't have the makeup to have a dog. I, I'm very straightforward on that because getting a dog is, it's like having a kid in the many ways. I mean, you know, people, there's, there's people who will go, well, you know, it's, it's just a dog. And my response to that is it's just a dog and nothing special and no special being don't get one. Uh, but I'm really pretty upfront saying that it's a life changer. It's got, there's responsibilities of caregiving um, financial changes in schedule. And I'm willing to talk to people, you know, about how enormous a change in life it could be to take in a dog. See, so, you know, I'm just so concerned. I'm concerned. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, 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 no. I mean, that's, that's what I do. Some people get upset with me. You know, they'll say, oh, you know, you're trying, you're creating a situation where they won't do want a dog. And I always say, look, if they want a dog bad enough, they need to know what's going on when they take a dog home. You know, especially a young dog. I mean, any dog, an old dog, a young dog, a middle-aged dog, they, you're their lifeline. I mean, I, I, I just, I know people don't like it when I say you're their lifeline, you're their oxygen, but you are, and you determine you, you determine everything, when they eat, where they eat, what they eat, when they pee, when they poop, who they can play with. You are running their lives. So you better be. And then when the, when the, when the shoe's on the other foot and they need vet care, you need to take them to the vet. You need to. And it could be pricey. I mean, we all know that. I mean, my goodness gracious. <laughs> it took me six, uh, six weeks to get an appointment. Six weeks. Mm -hmm. and I, you know, for, I said, you got to be. Yeah, with well, everyone has dogs now with COVID. I said six yep. weeks. I called up October first. I'm gonna see November twenty third. A little more than six weeks. I couldn't believe yeah. it. I just couldn't yep. believe that. And I'm driving yep. two hours away from my house to to this one particular hospital, which has time. Well, that's because you're a good human guardian, and I don't mean that, you know, facetiously or, you know, simplistically. Um, that's the other obligation. You know, you need to give your dog the very best treatment that he or she can get because if you don't it's like with humans you're just going to keep treating them and spending money and and that dog will be in pain yeah no i, ju know, I just don't get it it's just like when i see heavy dogs fat dogs that should never mm -hmm. be you know that's a that's a that's an owner who's not taking care and, and being responsible if the dog yep. is matted if the dog has an ear infection a continuously ear infection they can't clean themselves they can't you know they need your help and uh Yep. I just yep. look at that and I say, you know, that's just a lazy owner or someone who didn't know what they're getting into. But uh, but my, my concern yep. is this, and I don't know if this is your concern. You probably mm -hmm. have a much different view of this, or maybe not. Mm -hmm. The past year and a half, pounds throughout America uh, have been emptied. Everyone and his mother-in-law are getting dogs because they're now yep. 
locked, they were in lockdown, home. Now it's starting to open up. People are going back to the office. These poor animals, which had 24-7 human contact, are now being put in cages uh, for 10 hours a day, 12 hours a day. And mm-hmm. uh, my concern, oh, my real my concern, my, real, my, really is my concern, is that a lot of people who got the dogs under, and, and under a different, you know, a, a different uh, setting, <laughs> the setting's going to change. You'd have to go back to work two days a week, three days a week in the office. What then? Mm-hmm. Did anyone, a lot of people I don't think thought this out. Well, yeah, I've been writing about it a bit. Um, and um, it's not a good situation for a lot of dogs now. You know, you know, there are dogs who lived with, you know, a family. They were left alone. You hope not too long. You hope they weren't crated, blah, 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 blah. You know, before and the pandemic and their their humans were working at home, the dogs got really, you know, if they had a good relationship, the dogs got really accustomed to their being home. So now they're leaving again. And, and it might be the case that some of those dogs might do better, but it's a change and dogs like consistency. They, they just really do. It doesn't mean, you know, some people go, oh, well, when you say that, you know, like, Aren't they sentient and conscious human, you know, dog beings? They're not, they're not people. <laughs> they're, they're not people, but, but, but yeah, they are. But, you know, they get used to things and they like, they do like routine. And, and, and the life of a lot of wild animals, especially around eating and sleeping, are fairly routine, you know. Um, but, yeah, um, I've had a bunch of people write to me and ask me what they can do. I'm not a dog trainer, but I know enough about behavior to tell them, that you need to wean your dog somehow, especially if it was a, you know, we call them pandemic dogs, especially if it's a dog you got when, you know, you were home (laughs) and now you're not. And that dog got used to your being there as a companion. Um, And they feel isolated. They get lonely, you know, they get separation anxiety, whatever people want to call it. and I don't, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know what the answer is. You know, you could take them to doggy daycare, but that's not cheap. And that just adds yeah. to the expense of having, you know, a companion dog. Um, My concern is it's, it's, there's just going to be a lot of abandoned dogs. And, uh, oh, there are. Yeah, there's a know, major, there's, a, there's an abandonment and, um, you know, giving up problem, if you will. Yeah, that's that's just terrible. You know, you're taking these animals who were never designed to live in the wild or in the open uh, without shelter, without food. And now you're just tossing them to the wind. And people think, well, I'm just, you know, they're going back to the natural state. No, that was never the natural state. No. Well, I mean, yeah, it might have been 10,000 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) And it might have been, you know, for dogs. You know, yeah, I mean, it might have been more natural for them to be alone before the pandemic. But but if you've got a good relationship with your dog and your dog has a good relationship with you, they're happy to have you around. I mean, I always, you know, say, look, dogs need down and alone time just like we do. You know, and people will write to me and say, God, what's wrong with it's usually what's wrong with my dog, not what's wrong with me. And I usually don't get into that kind of battle. Mm-hmm. But I, they'll say, what's wrong with me? My dog seems to need alone time. And I'll go, look, do you need alone time? Uh-huh. Well, so does your dog. And I had a rescue dog who 
I don't know much about her background. She was a love dog. And every now and again, she would just leave us. I mean, literally just get up, leave the room without saying goodbye, if you will, and go downstairs and tuck herself behind the bed, a big husky who would get stuck sometimes. She'd get out, but you'd hear the bed moving. Mm. But there wasn't, and I'd always tell, there's nothing wrong with your dog or with you, as far as I, I know, but there's nothing wrong with a dog who wants alone time. Um, yeah, no, no, but, look, that makes sense, but, right? But too much... It's, it's, I mean, you know, people will argue with me. They'll say, well, I run my dog to they're really just fatigue and I give them a good breakfast and they go out and pee and poop. And then I put them in a crate for eight hours and I'll go, oh, not, not good. <laughs> I mean, you know, and they'll say, well, you know, wild animals sleep all day, but, but what you've done in that case is you've really constrained their freedom, you know, and, and, and they know it. Um, but I share your concern. I mean, there are more and more abandonments or or I hear people complaining, you know, not about the dog per se, because maybe, the, it's a, you know, the dog is a really great dog, but uh, more about, oh, my goodness gracious, I have to go home now during lunch because they got used to my being there. Or, or I don't know what it's like where you live or in other places, but, you know, there's a lot of places around here here and I know elsewhere where dogs are welcome, you know, into the office. And, and there's been studies that show actually that the presence of dogs can increase work productivity. Hmm. So, um, oh, you know, this is just, this is a generalization, but it lifts the spirits of people. You know, if you like dogs and you see a friendly dog, it just make, makes you feel better about maybe everything. What is the biggest misconception through all your years? You've been doing this, what, 40 plus years? Uh, maybe longer, probably. But Probably longer, yeah. yeah. I'll be kind, uh, 40 years or so. Uh, yeah. you, you've, and you've been in the wild with these animals, and, and you've seen them up close and in their natural habitats and in homes, and, and you've done an extensive amount of work, extensive. What is the biggest misconception people have about canines? Well, the two that I mentioned before that I think are really important is that they'll love you no matter what. So therefore you can, you know, people say, well, I, I can lock my dog in a dark broom closet for 20 hours and he or she will come out, wag their tail and lick me all over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or that we are their best friends. You know, that's a big, that's a sale. You know, there's books out there. Dogs are our best friends or how should you interact with our best friends? In the end, it really harms the dog because it sets up these expectations that my dog is going to love me no matter what I do. And I've done something really bad or egregious or something my dog didn't like and they don't love me anymore and they don't want to hang out with me. I'm getting rid of the dog. Mm. I mean, I'm, I'm jumping some, through some hoops here, but that's the transition. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah, the progression. Or, you know, what's wrong with the dog? They don't love me. Um, and and the unfortunately the dog I always say gets the short end of the leash or the stick but 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 they do so those are really um, prevailing myths but you know another is that dogs live in the present you know people like to say oh they're Zen animals they don't live in the present you know if you have a dog and and your dog knows that when you get up from the couch you're taking them for a walk they're watching you. In the past, you did that, and they're going to the door with a, with a future thought. I mean, there's, there's lots of other examples. 
Um, another one is that dogs don't, this, this was around about, a, well, it was around probably 10, 15 years ago that dogs don't form dominance relationships. Yeah, oh. they do form dominance <laughs> Gee relationships. Whiz. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> they, you know, they, it's, it's so amazing. I have uh, four boys in the house when we first got them. Well, they're now uh-huh. men. They're now men aged from 31 to 21. And he picked up who uh, he knew immediately that I was the alpha. And I remember reading a book that said, you know, walk into any room uh, of someone important and in no time you'll figure out who the alpha is, right? If there's yeah. someone there, dogs do the same. They see who, who, who the alpha is. And there was one of my sons who he started humping and he thought yeah. it was cute, my son. I said, don't let him do that. He's basically, you know, dominating you. And he knows he would never do that. He tried once to do it to me and it was all over that. He stopped that immediately. But yeah. he was trying to find his, 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 uh, his place in the pack, and uh, he picked on one of my sons to, uh, you know, that's the guy I'm going to dominate. That all's changed, but uh, anyone who says that dogs uh, are not, uh, you know, looking for alphas or leaders, they just don't have no dogs. Yeah, I mean, humping's not always a dominant move. I mean, that's another, I guess it's a, a semi-myth. But, yeah, I mean, those are the kinds of dog-appropriate behaviors that most people prefer the dog don't do. You know, mm. I mean, they like to sniff and pee a lot, you know. Well, that's fine. I don't know anybody <laughs> who wants a dog sniffing and peeing in their living room. No, no, that, that's fine. But but the dominant behavior, he knew immediately, you know, he would hit him. He would hit this, my son, and try to boss him around. And, if he, mm-hmm. you know, all the kinds of behaviors that you, of course, know, uh, he'd get up, he'd sit in his spot. My dog knows that when I go into my bedroom, he sits on the corner of the bed opposite my bed, my thing. My wife's, my wife's, right where my wife's feet are. Once in a while, mm-hmm. he'll come and sit on my side. And I just look at him and I said, off. And he yeah. looks at me and goes, all right, I tried. Okay, <laughs> you know, I'm going. I, I, I'm trying, I mean, but I tried. I give it a shot. I give it a shot right. to try to get this spot, but no. Well, I mean, dogs, you know, once again, you know, I don't know how hardwired it is in their genes, but they're going to play us like we play them yeah. sometimes. I mean... To me, that was the it was the joy because you know I knew my dog dogs knew what to do. I mean, really, when I lived in the mountains, they'd be outside. All there there were six houses on this mountainside. They all had dogs. They'd all come down to my house because I'd feed them and they'd all hang out. No leashes, no collars. I mean, and no problem. But every now and again, they test you. You know, you know how far can I push Mark? And you know, it just. A lot of it depended on the day, but, you know, if I was jammed or just having a, you know, a, a, like a, a, a jam day, but I kind of appreciated it sometimes. I don't necessarily think they were trying to control or dominate me, but I could see their little doggy brains, you know, Jethro and um, Zoe, big German shepherd who lived down the road, you know, having this conversation is, how can we piss Mark off? Or how far, mm. you know, how far can, can we, push, we push, him? push him? Yeah, you know? and so it was a game. But 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 over time, they really learned that I was pretty loose up there because I mean it was just so easy to have them. But you know, in all honesty, there were times when they would do something, and I just I wouldn't like it, you know. So I I would just tell them no. I mean, I wouldn't hit them or you know stuff like that. But I think that that's another thing dogs do. You know, they'll have a sense of humor and. You know, they know they're doing something that you may might not like. And that way, you know, if you just say no, they just stop. You know, it's like you and I might do just kibitzing with somebody or you know, joking well, no, it's around. like kids trying to push their boundaries oh. and see how far they can go. 
Exactly, because they don't know. You know, that's the other thing. You know, they don't know. So, you, you know, some people go, oh, they're purposely testing me. They're trying to irritate me. No, I don't think that's it not at all. They just don't know the boundaries. I mean, I don't know the boundaries when I meet some people. And, you know, I'm going to certainly be careful about pushing the boundaries, but I don't know them. So, you know, can I get, you know, can I get away with this, with Joe, not Harry or Mary, not Jane and stuff like right, that? Right, right, right. So, yeah, I mean, dogs, you know, the other thing that's really pertinent to this whole discussion is that dogs came from wolves, they have wolf genes in them, they have wolf engrams running around in their brain. You know, it's part of the message in our book is that, you know, we've bred out a lot of behaviors, but there are still wolf genes and parts, wolf brains in their brains. Such as like, and what, what would be a wolf brain thing that's in a dog now? Well, um, they're runners. We call them cursorial. So, you know, some dogs can't run because of what they look like. Well, we, and bred the we, we bred them. We bred way, them that yeah, way. Huh? Not be able to run, but they're runners. Um, so, you know, you take your average dog and they can, you know, people are always amazed that they can run and run and run and run. Well, they can. Um, that would be one. Another would be, you know, um, being able to hunt and bring down you know, maybe not large prey, although, or, although packs of dogs do do that, but, you know, being able to know, tap into some hunting instinct, even though they haven't hunted. And yes, dogs will do it. Sometimes, you know, they're clumsy at doing it, but, but they still have that ability. And, you know, we've pretty much bred out, but I think it's a combination of breeding out and, you know, negatively, if you will, reinforcing what they call the killing bite, you know, like, so when they, you know, when you play with your dog, they have an inhibited bite, they learn really fast how, you know, how hard they can bite among themselves and, and humans. But, you know, once again, it's still in their genes. I mean, I, I've seen dogs take down prey. And um, so they can do it, but it, it might be a skill they'll need to, if you will, relearn. Um, you know, when they're on their own, because they're going to have to hunt and defend, they have to get food and defend food. But, you know, they'll probably be able to do that. Some better, you know, some better than others. I mean, and the dogs where I lived up in the mountains, I mean, I didn't encourage it. But, you know, every now and again, I knew they were going out and maybe trying to get a rabbit, a bunny, or, you know, a mouse. And I would stop them if I could, but I couldn't watch them all the time. Um, so those would be wolf-like type of behaviors that are still, you know, in a sense, latent. You know how people say we have paleolithic brains, but we're now, you know, that's that's all I'm saying, you know. Right, like our amygdala brain, our fight or fight or flight, you know, that's a, oh, you know, that yeah. uh, reptilian brain is already in there, you know, so. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, people don't like to hear it called the reptilian brain, but. <laughs> it's it, it's what, it what it is. It's what it is, yeah. you, know? you yeah. know. Last question for you, Mark. Yeah. When I hear people say, you know, my son, daughter, children, I want to give them more responsibility or, uh, you know, they're lonely of this. I want to get a dog. I want to just look at them and say, do you realize that you just bought yourself a 14 to 15 year full-time <laughs> commitment? You know, there's a long yeah. tail, pun intended, on this, on this, on this uh, investment you're making, and uh, do you see that a lot? That people just they don't think this through, and dogs end up in shelters at best. 
Yeah, that's exactly what I was getting to before about the enormous responsibility that, you know, especially if you get a young dog, you know, they're going to be around for a while and you can get one for your kids who, many of whom, and I don't mean it in a negative way, will get bored with the dog or they'd rather go out with their friends when they're in middle school or high school or even, you know, early college than take care of the dog, walk the dog, feed the dog, take the dog to the vet, stay home if, you know, you're going to be gone for a while to keep the dog. Right, then, then you're going away on a trip and you got to get boarded and then you got to drive yep. two hours. We have all that stuff and, and stay up with yep. it and feed it and give it uh, medicine when it's sick. It's, it's a kid. It's a perpetual kid that will never grow up. And you got 14 well, to 15 years on that. Yeah, and, and it is. I mean, you know, they you know they mature and they're not youngsters anymore, but you're right. I mean, older dogs don't go off and get a driver's license, go to university and, and leave the house. Right. And 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 I think it's so serious too, because older dogs need care. They suffer from all sorts of physical and psychological disorders, just like we do. They're mammals. That's what I, I always stress that, you know, I'm a biologist. They're mammals. They have mammal brains. They suffer from the same systemic diseases we do, the same psychological disorders that we do, and they need care. And if you get a dog for your kid because your kid, well, I mean, I just think it's a silly reason to get a dog because your kid needs a friend. I mean, there's something serious going on. Well, what's, there. A, what's a good re what's a good reason to get a dog? If if we were just calling all things being equal, why would you? You don't have any dogs now. Why would you go out and get a dog and not a hamster? Because you'll have a different sort of um, emotional relationship with the dog than the hamster. Although I don't know that I would. I love hamsters and guinea pigs. <laughs> but but seriously, you'll have a different sort of um, relationship with them. It might complete you, you know. But but to me, the question I ask people that question is: Are you getting the dog for the dog's well-being? You know, especially if you're you know, you're going to rescue a dog. Are you going to be able to give that dog the very best life you can? And if you're getting the dog because of what the dog can do for you and or your friends or family, rather than factoring in the dog's well-being, don't get a dog. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm really, um, I'm pretty straight out about these things because I see the results of abandonments. I see the results of dogs having had multiple homes. And neglect, um, and neglect, and the way they look. And, 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 and that look. I was going to use the word neglect. So, you know, people will say, oh, I got a dog, and they were really happy, but now no one's home, or now we leave them. You know, I come home for an hour and leave them. I come home for an hour and I leave them. The dog seems to be upset, and I'm going, hello? <laughs> so, yeah. You know, I, I always advocate people becoming fluent or, you know, fluent in dog or dog literate. And people will go, oh, you're making it so hard for me to get a dog. And I'll go, well, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I totally, I'm totally with you. I want, I just want to recommend uh, your other book to anyone who's listening to this, who's thinking about getting a dog, uh, Unleashing Your Dog. I started reading that really great stuff. Uh, uh, Mark and uh, Mark Beckoff and Jessica Pierce, Unleashing a Dog, a Field Guide to Giving Your Canine Companion the Best Life Possible. I like it. I like the book because it's very, you know, as a dog owner, uh, um, I, I got I, you, you taught me one thing I just read in there is 
the tension on the leash. And mm -hmm. when that leash is tense, he's pulling one way, now pulling another. We're not in harmony. Something's off. Yeah. And when I just started reading that after I read A Dog's World, I said, wow, you know, that, that your book is the owner, owner's manual that should have come with the dog because <laughs> it, it's, it, I think what you did here in this book, uh, and, and I, you know, I, you, know you, you put the word canine companion. I guess that's socially acceptable. I don't know. I'm still back the yeah. old days. You know, I own a dog. You can't. You're yeah. a companion. No, I own it. I pay for it. <laughs> I pay the bills. I own it. All right. So, <laughs> so, so what I, I, I like what you did here is in, in this book, which I didn't find in other books, which I really enjoyed with this, is that you started to make me see the dog more so on, a, on an intellectual level through their eyes. Meaning, dogs, mm -hmm. up, dogs, my dog, for example, Brittany, 75% of their brain is based on smell. These dogs are mm -hmm. hunting dogs. So when we're mm -hmm. walking and he's sniffing and peeing, he's sending his own messages. Uh, why am I pulling the dog? Because I want to get to work quicker and mm -hmm. not giving his chance out of the house. And I like that from your book. And now when I do walk with him, and I thought one of my sons were crazy when he said this, he goes, I go, well, how do you, where do you walk Riley? He goes, oh, wherever he wants, if he wants to turn at this corner. And I wasn't doing that. I wasn't doing that. <laughs> so now I'm very, very cognizant, very conscious rather, of any time there's tension on the leash, and this morning, in fact, we're walking, he wanted to cross the street. I had no idea why, but he wanted to cross the street. And there was someone coming the other way, just for whatever reason, he didn't dig. He didn't like, I, I saw his, like, he got a little tense, and he just wanted uh -huh. to cross the street. So back in the old days, looking at my phone or listening to podcasts and not caring. But here, after reading your book, I thought that was, a, you know, a really insightful thing that you put there of watch the tension on the leash. Yeah, I mean... Dogs, when they're on their own, you know, they'll sniff a third or half of the time. And it really grates me when I hear people say, what are you doing? There's nothing there. And the dog is there. going, oh, my goodness, are you kidding me? I know who's here, what they ate. Uh, you know, is it a female in heat? Is Charlie having a good day or is he stressed and angry? Um, you know, we call the female. And it's sort of like putting a rope. I mean, I really mean it. Put a rope around your neck and then let somebody lead you and you're admiring a beautiful painting, you know, or, or something, and they're just yanking you. So that is the bottom line, that the walk is for the dog. And when I lived in the mountains, I would just, you know, my dogs, you know, early in the morning, let them out, and they decided what to do. They knew they had an hour. I could go three, four, five miles or three, four, five meters. And there were some mornings when they'd go out the front door, they'd eat, they'd pee, they'd do their thing. And then I'd usually head down the road to a, a nice path where we could walk, actually to, to Boulder, it was four miles each way. Sometimes they'd be in front of me and sometimes they'd be heading home. They learned very fast. I mean, not that they had a watch on, that they had an hour and that was it. And sometimes they we do you know a couple of miles, four or five miles. Sometimes we do nothing, and they learned. And I decided they know this is their walk. You know, I don't. You know, they didn't send me you know mm -hmm. a text message saying, "Hey, Mark, this is our walk, not yours." But um, yeah, I think that's really the best way. And and what you do when you're doing that, you're giving your you're, you're giving that sense of freedom to your dog to be a dog because basically we bred dogs to be little humans or, you know, humans. 
And they, that, there's an, see, so there's another great example, the importance of odor. And the reason we wrote Unleashing Your Dog is because um, dogs need to exercise their senses as well as their bodies. And I mean, this, I, I see people around Boulder. I don't have a dog now because I, I, I just don't want to have to walk a dog on a leash after decades of letting them run free. But I see these people and there's a woman I met and, and I went in to get a cup of coffee and I swear her dog was in the same five foot perimeter sniffing about, you know, five minutes later. And I said, wow, that's really neat. She said, this is his sniff time. He hmm. knows that I need to go to work and he, and he can, I said, she said he can, she lives two blocks away. He can walk two blocks or two miles. Um, so thank you. No, thanks for that. Cause, cause once again, you know, we, we impose on the dogs thinking, Oh no, they need to run 10 miles a day. They need to do this. Well, I mean, they need their exercise, but when they're sniffing and their noses to the ground, they're onto something there. It's a, it's like a symphony of odors. And I always say they sniff first and ask questions later because they're getting a lot of information. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I just want to end with this, uh, what, what, it, what having a dog, I remember I got my dog, a friend of mine said, I said, well, I'll have to walk him after this. After that. He goes, no, no, as much as you think you're keeping your dog alive, he's keeping you alive. And uh, I, you know, I've been walking three, two and a half, three miles a day for the mm -hmm. past nine plus years, mm -hmm. rain, shine, snow, didn't matter. And <laughs> you get to meet, uh, especially in, in Brooklyn, you get to meet a lot of people when you have a dog. People come up to you or other dog owners. It is such a social social lubricant to breaking the barrier. And people, they see, so I have learned uh, so much about people in my neighborhood that I would never have known before. Mm -hmm. Days where, when the dog goes to the kennel of work, because we're going away in a, in a few days or so, <laughs> uh, I look at how much I walk. It's less than a mile. But when you have a dog, you have to get out of bed. I don't care, sick, not... You have to walk if you have a, a very bad ankle, if you have no one to walk it for you. But it's that kind of movement that most Americans don't have because we drive mm -hmm. everywhere that uh, you get to stop and, and, you know, just walk with nature. I, I, I can't tell you how if I don't have my walk in the morning with him, uh, my day screwed up. Yeah, you get used to it, too. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, it's sort of those and, you know, people say the, the endorphins are flowing. But but you're right. I mean. I mean, it, it's a win-win for all. And that's the way I look at it. The answer to your question about whether people should get a dog or how they interact with their dog, I always say, just make it a win-win for all. I mean, in the end, it may be a little skewed towards your interests than theirs, but that's, I mean, that's just the way it goes. But if you look at it as a sort of 50-50 negotiation, because that's what you're doing. You're negotiating with your dog all the time. They don't got. They don't have to go to work. <laughs> they they can stay up late and watch a movie and sleep in. So you know you're you are negotiating with them. But I think if the bottom line is I'm going to give them the best life they can have, that's all, all. That's all one could ask of you, and 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 in a sense that's really what they're asking. Yeah, of you. yeah, yeah. So to be safe and to be taken care of, and that's it. And they'll yeah. give you. They'll give you love and companionship. That's a good trade-off. Yeah. That's a good trade-off. Yeah. Folks, the name of the book is A Dog's World, Imagining the Lives of Dogs in a World Without Humans by Jessica Pearson. I had the pleasure of spending time with Mark Beckhoff. Uh, I, I, Mark, thanks so much. I really, really enjoyed it. Love your, 
Loved your book uh, and loved uh, the Unleashing Your Dog. Learned a lot. So for those 65 million uh, dog owners, <laughs> companions, whatever, go on and get his book. In fact, just a fraction, just a small fraction do you're going to do well with that. <laughs> well, thank you very you know, much. Everyone. All right, Mark. All the success. All the success to you, man. Thank you so much. You bet. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Charles Mizrahi Show. If you're a new listener, welcome. If you've been listening for a while, we're glad to have you back. Either way, we'd love to know what you think of the show. Please leave a review if you listen on Apple Podcasts. Reviews make it easier for others to find the show. You can also see the video of the interview on The Charles Mizrahi Show channel on YouTube.